You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. I love her little cheesy smile. That girl has my heart. For those of you that don't know, that's my daughter. It's not some weird thing that I'm talking about. Um... Man, today today is Halloween, and um, no doubt in your neighborhoods um, later on this evening, there are going to be kids and families swarming the blocks. And what an incredible opportunity we have as the body of Christ to welcome our neighbors into, into our homes and onto our property, and we get to show them the love of Jesus Christ through a smile and through the extension of, of some candy and everything. It was always um, something as a kid that I looked forward to, um, not really because of all the spooky stuff, like that's never been, you know, I don't like to be scared, that's not my deal. And I didn't even really look forward to, uh, to Halloween um, really, even because of all the candy, the thing that excited me the most as a kid, I don't know about you, but it was, it was getting to dress up. It was getting to, to put on a costume. And I can remember one of my earliest costumes. There's, there's some pictures um, in an album somewhere in my parents' house kind of floating around with this. I was, I was just a little guy. One of my very earliest costumes that I remember was Batman. And it wasn't the cool, like, Christian Bale Batman costumes that you can get now that have like the built-in muscles and everything. This was um, this was uh, this was the Adam West Batman. Um, you know, with the painted-on eyebrows, and um, it was it was the it, it was there was there was no like it wasn't form-fitting at all. It was just like a gray and blue gown that had like legs, and it tied in the back around my neck. You know, and the 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 mask. It was, it was just like this, this brittle, molded, thin plastic. Like if you, if you touched it wrong, it would crack. And, um, and it was held with the, the skinniest little piece of elastic um, uh, a string possible, just stapled into the sides of it. That was, that was my Batman costume, and um, it, it was awesome, okay? It was awesome, and I was awesome. And when I put that on, I was Batman, y'all. <laughs> Only not really. Because let's just say that Commissioner Gordon on that night picked up the bat phone. You know, the one, the red one with the one button. It was under like the fancy acrylic cake cake dome, you know, there in his office, you know what I'm talking about, had he picked up that cake dome and and grabbed the red bat phone and pushed the button to call the bat cake, my telephone would not have rung that night. The, uh, had, had the Joker and, and the, the Penguin and the Riddler gotten together and decided to thwart Gotham City, I would not have sprung into action in that moment. Why? Because I was not the real Batman. I was just pretending. It was all just pretend. This past Friday um, evening, Yuli Athletic Association uh, held its first annual fall festival. Some of you were there. I got to see some of you um, that evening. Christ Walk Church, we sponsored one of the booths 
um, at this event. And so I want to give a shout out to Pastor Tina and her team for pulling all of that together. Our theme was, it was like a candy shop and it was, it was so cool. Um, I mean, and, and every, I like, there was literally a line of people waiting to get to our booth and, and to be there. And um, it was just a ton of fun. So props to Pastor Tina. Those of you um, uh, who are in one of our life groups that you, uh, you brought candy to be a part of that, um, we, we, uh, we were able to interact with over 500 families that night, I, we gave away everything that we had, um, and, and it, was, it was just, it was an awesome thing. So props to you guys for being a part of that. I'm so proud um, of our church, proud for our church, and thankful for your generosity and those of you that came out to serve and be a part of that. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And my favorite part of getting to be there um, that night was just to see all of the kids in their costumes. You know, they're all excited and they've, they've got these costumes on and, and they're just pumped to be who they've chosen to be. There were Disney princesses, there were other movie characters, there were superheroes galore, there were dinosaurs. I saw one little girl, she was in an inflatable rainbow unicorn costume. It was awesome, it was so cool. Um, we saw uh, bumblebees, both the insect and the transformer, they were all there represented. I even saw two little boys, presumably brothers. I think they were brothers. One, um, one was dressed as a fireman um, and the other was dressed as a police officer. And, and now the city of Yulee, they did an incredible job creating a fun and safe and family-friendly uh, event. And I'm looking forward to our opportunity to participate in that again next year. And I'm so thankful that we live in a community where stuff like this happens and it gets put on and that, that we as the church, we get to participate in the things that are taking place in our community to be the love and the light and the life of Jesus Christ shining in the dark places there. But, but let's just say that d despite the fact that, that everything was, was safe and above board and, and just an incredible family-friendly event, let's just say that Something had happened that night on Friday, and that there was some sort of emergency that took place. Perhaps a fire broke out, or perhaps there was someone in need of help. I, I can, with a great deal of certainty, say that not one person that was there that evening would have gone to the little boy in the fireman outfit, or to the little boy in the police officer outfit asking them, to help rectify the situation. Why? Because they're not really a fireman. They're not really a police officer. They don't have the training. They don't have the expertise. They don't have the experience or the maturity to handle anything like that because they were just, they're just pretending. And several weeks ago in my Bible reading, the Holy Spirit confronted me with a challenging question that I believe does not just pertain to me as an individual, but also spills over here into this place, into who we are as a church. 
people of this church that I've been entrusted to lead and to, to help oversee and, and move in the direction of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the question that I wrote down in my journal, the question that I felt like the, that the Holy Spirit was challenging me with is that in these last days, as Jesus Christ draws near, when those that are outside of the faith, when they look at this church, when they look at these people, when they look at its leadership, are they going to find pretense or are they going to find God's presence? Are they going to find a bunch of people pretending or are they going to find a bunch of people that are carrying the presence of God? They're in, engaging, they're involved with, they're actively participating in the practice of the presence of God. And so, for this morning, what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes is, is simply this, this question or this idea of when people come into our presence, will they experience the Lord's presence? Or is it just all pretend? Is it just all pretend? If you got a Bible, you got a smart device, I'd love for you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. We're going to be in Paul's letter to um, the Romans, uh, Paul's letter to the church at, in, in Rome, Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 8 through 14 together, Romans 13, 8 through 14. Paul writes this, he says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Verse 13. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy, but instead clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your sinful desires. So what Paul is talking about here really is, is two kind of major components out of this section of Scripture. And, and in verses 8 through 10, what Paul is communicating is, is our responsibility as believers. He is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to those that have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And, and so, so the, the, the standpoint of this message is it's, it's going to be directed at, at those of us who claim to be Christ followers. So if you're here today and, and you don't follow Jesus, you haven't made that decision um, to, to make him Lord and Savior of your life yet, that, 
that's okay. We are so glad that you're here. If that's you, you're watching online. We are, we're so glad that you are here. But please know that, that for this, this is directly geared towards those of us who call ourselves Christians. And, and, and is, uh, it's tied up with, with how we are to live, those of us who claim to have faith in Jesus. And so right here in, in verses 8 to 10, he's talking, Paul's talking about the responsibility that we have as believers. In other words, he's talking about the things, what we need to do. That's what Paul's talking about. He's, he's talking about this is what you need to do. And he starts off with this idea of love. And in the life of the believer, love is a defining mark in each one of us. One of the, the surefire, hands-down ways to determine whether or not we are truly following Jesus Christ is whether or not love is present in our life. The Beatles in 1967 said it this way, all you need is love. Jesus in John 13 verses 34 through 35 said it like this. He said, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so one of the primary ways that we show the world around us that we are followers of Jesus Christ is that our life and our, our interactions with other people, that they are full of love. Later on in the Old Testament, John, uh, in, his, in his first letter, First uh, John, Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, maybe this is a familiar passage to some of you. He writes this, he says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if we're, going to, if we're going to be Christ followers and we are going to live as examples in this last day, make no mistake, our lives have got to be filled full of and saturated with the love of God, both within and what we extend to other people. But here's what I've noticed here of late over the course of my life, and it's getting increasingly worse here over the past several years, is that love and acceptance are, are buzzwords that get thrown around. They're often connected together these days, that we've just got to love everyone, and we just have to accept everyone. And, and, and when we get outside of the evangelical Christian circle, and even sometimes when we get inside of it, that takes on a connotation or, or a, a different meaning than I believe what the scriptures really meant for it to be. Because even though, yes, we love and we accept everyone, what, what it doesn't mean is that we overlook or we excuse or we condone sin and unrighteousness. See, sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is to take a stand for what is true and what is right, to take a stand for God and his word. Sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is say, this is the truth, as long as we do it in a loving way. And the truth is, is that sometimes 
love, though it's never meant to be hurtful, though it's never meant to be painful, sometimes love can be confrontational. Sometimes love can be confrontational. And and I love this quote from Shane Claiborne. He said, my goal is to speak the truth in love. There are a lot of people speaking the truth with no love. And there are a lot of people talking about love without much truth. And yes, it is true that Jesus loves us and he accepts us, everyone, exactly as we are. But it's also true that he loves us enough to not allow us to stay there. And as Christians, for those of us that that we call ourselves Christ followers, that, that word Christian, it means little Christ, or it means like a mirror of Jesus. You and I, we have a responsibility to meet others where they are and then lovingly inspire and guide them into a deeper relationship with Jesus in word, in thought, and in deed. And the best way that you and I can love others and inspire them to become more like Jesus is to be sure that we're doing everything that we can to become more like Jesus ourselves. That's what makes it loving. So that when, when, we, when we stand up for the truth, it's not us pointing fingers at everyone. It's us pointing a finger at Jesus and we're sure that's the measuring stick and we're all trying to live up to that. And so we're not condemning people in their sin, but we're, we're showing them living by example in, in, in love and in truth, showing them how to rise above that and move past that so that they can become more like Jesus. That is our responsibility as Christ followers in these last days. And what Paul is communicating there in verses 8 to 10. Then in the the second part of this passage, where first he was communicating responsibility, now we we shift gears to uh, verses 11 through 14. Not just responsibility, but now Paul's talking about practice. He's talking about this is, this is how we go about it. This is not just what you need to do, but this is now here is how you do it. And so first, if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write this down. Paul says, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. There in verse 11, he says, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I can remember several years ago when we lived in Georgia, Luke um, Luke played Little League Baseball for a handful of seasons. And um, a friend of mine was the head coach. And so since I had a son on the team, I helped him, um, I helped him coach the team as well. I basically just kind of stood there. I don't know anything about baseball. But here's, here's what I did learn in, um, in those few seasons where Luke played baseball is that there were different positions, obviously, on the field where you could put some of the kids. And um, you, would, you would try to put them based on their ability level. Like there were some places on the field where, you know, the kid had to be able to have some coordination and, and be able to do a few things in order to help the game move forward and, and everything. And, and then there's right field. 
And right field um, at this level of baseball, this is where you put the kid who's there because his parents just needed to get him out of the house for a couple hours. Like that's the kid out in, in right field. And, and um, the, in, in the Little League, it's, it's not all too often that the baseball travels out into right field for whatever reason. And so often you get um, a kid who he's not really there to play baseball. He's just there because his parents are making him. You know, he wants to do something constructive with his time, or at least that's what his parents have told him, that he just needed to get out into the fresh air and make some friends and everything. And so there he is out in right field picking his nose. He's got his hat off. He's got his glove tucked under his arm. He's looking around. He's chasing butterflies and picking flowers out of the grass and everything until all of a sudden the ball comes his way. And he has no idea what to do. And everybody in the dugout, all the coaches, all the players on the field, they're all screaming at him, hey, wake up, pay attention, look alive, let's go, get in the game, right? And I think that's what Paul is communicating. He said, wake up here. You got to pay attention. You got you to get your head in the game. Where, where we're at in, in this world right now and, and the season and the time that, that we are walking through and that stands before us, this is the moment that we've been waiting for. Those of us who have placed our hope and trust in Jesus, never before has the world needed us to lead the way. Never before has the world needed us to, to, to take a stand for the truth and point other people in the direction of Jesus. Never before has it been needed so badly for people to see Christians living as true examples of what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. The world around us is watching and they are looking for us and the example that we are setting. And that is going to determine how they interact with, the way that they view the church, the way that they view their relationship with Jesus and what all of that is supposed to be, what all of it looks like. And so we cannot afford to let our guard down. We cannot afford to miss our opportunity. We cannot afford to lose focus on the task that is at hand. Our time is now. And Paul is reminding us that we need to wake up. Don't miss it. This is what we've been called to. This is what we've been waiting for. Don't lose focus. Get your head in the game. Pay attention because the time is important. The time is important. And you and I have a place and a role to play. So first off, he says, you got to wake up. Number two, he says, you need to clean up. Not only do you need to wake up, you need to clean up. In verse 12, Paul says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Just like you and I, we get up every morning and, and we, we put on clean clothes, hopefully. We put on clean clothes to begin each day. I don't know, maybe some of the teenagers like saw the wad of clothes in their floor this morning and maybe grabbed something and was like, yeah, this will do, you know. We'll let that slide. 
But for everyone else, hopefully you put on clean clothes this morning. Just like we do that to get ready to, to face our day. We, we can't remain in the filth of our sin just pretending to have surrendered our lives to Jesus. Because pretending is what happens in the dark. But when pretenders step out into the light, then they get exposed for who they really are. And so Paul's saying, get rid of those filthy rags. Get rid of the, the clothing of the darkness. But instead, put on the, the shining armor of right living. The shining armor of right living, it reflects God's glory. When it gets out into the light, it is, it is untarnished by the stain of sin and the ways of the world. And so when we put on the shining armor of right living and we step into the light, it's not people looking at us. It is people looking at the reflection of God's glory in our lives that points them back to him. And it's not just, he, he's saying, take off these clothes and put on this armor. And the reason that it's, it's the shining armor of right living is because we are going to battle. Like, don't get it twisted. War is being waged. But the question is for us that what Paul is communicating is that when we step out onto that battlefield, are we going to be ready are we going to be in filthy, tattered rags that are, that are full of the weight of sin? Or are we going to be in the shining armor of light from right living and our choice to follow after Jesus Christ and to set that example that he's called us to, 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 to set? We, we've got to wake up. We, we've, got to, we've got to clean up. And then number, uh, 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 I'm sorry. We've got to wake up and we've got to clean up. And we clean up by putting on this armor. And the armor that Paul is talking about is it's the armor of God. It's Ephesians chapter 6. Some of us know it well. Verse 11, Paul writes this. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. There's components here. There's, there's things that, that we're called to put on. First of all, it's the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. That, that we put on these shoes and, and that the gospel becomes the firm foundation that we have in Jesus. So that, that when we step out onto the battlefield, we are literally standing upon the foundation of the word of God and who Jesus is and what he has called us to, who he's called us to be, the things that he's called us to do. Paul says, put on the, the belt of truth. And, and these days, the belt is what holds up our pants. Or, or, but in those days, the belt would have, it would have held all the pieces of armor together. It would have kept the, the breastplate and the sword and, and everything from, from coming apart. It would have been sure that, that the person was protected at all times by those pieces of armor. And so that, that's the, the truth that we talked about before. we got to be sure that, that we're being held together by the truth, that we're not being deceived by the lies of the enemy, but that, that the thing that is holding all of the components and the pieces together when we go out to the battle, it is the truth that is found in God's word we got to put on the breastplate of righteousness to make sure that our hearts are guarded from negative influences that try to come in and, and to penetrate and to change how we're living, to change our motives and our intentions. 
We've got to make sure that we're wearing the, the helmet of salvation, that, that it protects our mind, that, that our mind is, is where we know who we are because of what Christ has done on the cross. We've got to take up the shield of faith so that we can face the onslaught and the hostility of the battle. That we're not afraid to go into those situations because we are behind our faith in God and he is protecting us at every single turn. And then finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And it serves to separate the lies and the deceit of the world from the things of God, which are true and noble and praiseworthy. It's double-edged and it cuts all the way between bone and joint all the way to the marrow. It, it divides what is wrong and, and what is right so that we can clearly see what we are fighting against. And then after all that, Paul says, once you put it all on, stand your ground. Stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. This is all about, it's all about preparation. It's all about getting ourselves ready for the things that God has called us to do. Just like we get up in the morning and we take a shower and we brush our teeth to prepare for the day, we also need to put on the full armor of God to prepare for the day. We can't afford to leave any of the pieces behind. We've got to make sure that it's all there because that's what's going to allow us to combat the power of sin and the temptation that comes against us each and every day so that we will not fall prey to it and we will not succumb to it. So we've got to wake up. We've got to clean up. We're putting on the full armor of God. And then third and finally, we've got to grow up. We've got to grow up. Verse 13, Paul writes, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. See, if, if, if we're going to grow up, if, if we're going to mature, it means that we can't continue doing the same things or behaving the same way that we used to. Something has to change. In my house, we have an almost 16-year-old and an almost 13-year-old. And from time to time, I will hear either myself or my wife say something like this. Son, you're almost 16 years old. You can't do that anymore. Or you're almost, Avery, you're almost 13 years old. It's time for you to start filling the blank. Because they're growing and, and they're maturing and we're trying to help them see that, that in order to grow up, that means that they have to put away the things of, uh, that, that are childish, the, the things of, of how they used to be and, and that their behavior has to change and their mindset has to change and the things that they do and the way that they go about them, it has to change. It's the same for us. So what Paul's saying that if, if, if we're, if we're going to grow up, if we're going to mature in our faith, if, if we're going to step forward as these examples, we can't live our lives the way that we used to. Behavior and, 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 and preparation and, and outlook, it all has to change so that we can be different. We can no longer involve ourselves in sin. We can't be around sin. We can't entertain sin. We can't give it a foothold in 
our lives. He says, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. We can't be involved in any of that. And I know what some of you might be thinking, but didn't Jesus eat with sinners? Yes, but he didn't get caught up in their sin. See, you and I, we're, we're to be examples of right living for those outside of the faith, but we can't compromise our lifestyle in order to do so. And so if being around sin is causing you to sin, then you need to distance yourself from it until you are grown up and mature enough to be, ha- to be able to handle those situations without falling into it. So we can't involve ourselves in, in any of those things. We, we also, we can't indulge in any of that stuff. We can't, we can't afford to rationalize and justify sin in our lives because it's what we feel like doing or because it's what's easiest for us. And, and Paul highlights a couple things right here. He, he highlights specifically sexual promiscuity and immoral living. And can I just tell you that these things are plaguing the church. We're talking about sexual relationships outside of marriage. We're talking about cohabitation kind of relationships with couples living together before they're married. We're talking about pornography, moral compromise at every turn, that that which is blatantly contrary to God's word, that we're allowing to be a part of our lives as as, as Christians. And and here's what we we say about it, or here's what we think about it, oh, that's... That's really no big deal. No, it's a huge deal. And these kinds of lifestyles and activities, they have no place in the church or in the life of the believer. And what's happening is is it's causing us to kill our witness. It's destroying our witness for Christ. And it's, it's not just the individual It's because the individual is participating in that, and then that's a reflection on the greater whole of the church because people see that, and they make the assumption that that's how Christians are. And if if that's what it means to follow Jesus, then why would I want any of that? Because your life looks exactly the way my life does, only you have to get up and go to church early on Sunday morning, and I get to sleep in. We should be set apart. There should be a difference. And so we, we, can't, we can't allow these, these moral compromises to take place. Yeah, I know it's hard to follow Jesus, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And that's what it's going to take if we're going to grow up, if we're going to mature in our faith. We can't be involved in sin. We can't indulge the sinful lifestyle. And finally, we can't engage in it. We can't engage in it. The things that Paul brings up here is, is quarreling and jealousy. And quarreling, the definition there is it's to end a friendship or a relationship as a result of a disagreement. And jealousy is it's resentment toward another person because of their advantage, their success, or their achievement. And, and when we choose to live this kind of lifestyle, what happens is, is that we end up looking to the things of this world for satisfaction rather than Jesus. And this leads us to begin seeking after what others have rather than what the Lord wants to bless us with. And then when we don't get it, when we don't get the things that they have, 
The end result is fracturing or brokenness in our relationships with others rather than the peace and unity that Jesus has called us to live in as brothers and sisters. So Paul's saying not only do you need to wake up, but you need to clean up and you need to grow up. You need to mature. You need to quit living this way. And the alternative is this. Paul says instead of doing that in verse 14, instead of living that way, instead clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So we've got to stop looking for the loophole in the church and start seeking after holiness. Stop looking for the loophole. Stop trying to find the way to rationalize and justify the sin that we want to have as a part of our life because we're, we're unwilling to, to surrender that to Jesus. We're unwilling to, to once and for all, 100% live his way. Stop looking for those loopholes and instead start seeking after holiness. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter writes this. He says, dear friends, I warn you. As temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. What Peter is saying is that for those of us who have placed our hope and trust in Jesus, we're not living for the things of this world anymore. We are living for something so much greater, something so much more. That this world, it's not our home. We are just passing through on to the final event when we're going to be in heaven in glory with Jesus forever and ever and ever. So stay away from all of the trappings of this world and everything that it has to offer because it's waging war against you. It's trying to overcome and overtake you. It's trying to destroy you at every single turn. And at the, at the root of all of this, I believe, I, I think it's an identity issue more than anything. And it's one of the most significant things that, in my opinion, is plaguing our culture and our society and, and even the church today. And one of the ways that we're seeing this play out, one of the prominent ways that we're seeing this play out currently is with all this mess about gender identity and expression. And sadly, we, we've seen this trickle its way into the Christian church when this past May, the first openly transgender minister was ordained by the Lutheran church. And this was done in the name of love and acceptance. But in doing so, the clear truth of the word of God was ignored. And what we're seeing take place right in front of our very eyes are people who are exchanging the truth of God's word. They're exchanging the truth of who God has created them to be. And in its place, they're accepting the lies of who the devil is telling them that they are. Because he knows that if he can cause us to doubt who we are, pretty soon we'll lose track of whose we are. And rather than look to the Lord and, and to the guiding truth of his word for direction, we'll start to look inward to our sinful feelings and our sinful desires instead. And that, my friends, is a very slippery slope. But our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. 
And that comes about through what Brother Lawrence wrote about in his classic, The Practice of the Presence of God. I love this book. If you've never read it, I would highly encourage that you do. Brother Lawrence writes this. He says, speaking of God, he does not ask much of us. Merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, that he has bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. Later, he writes, I regard myself as the most wretched of all men, stinking and covered with sores, and as one who has committed all sorts of crimes against his king. Overcome by remorse, I confess all my wickedness to him, ask his pardon, and abandon myself entirely to him to do with as he will. But this king, filled with goodness and mercy, far from chastening me, chastising me, lovingly embracing me, makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the keys of his treasure and treats me as his favorite. He talks with me and is delighted with me in a thousand and one different ways. He forgives me and relieves me of my principal bad habits without talking about them. I beg him to make me according to his heart. And always the more weak and despicable I see myself to be, the more beloved I am of God. Each time we return to the presence of God, we are reminded of who we are in him. And when we clothe ourselves in his presence, we carry his presence with us. When that's what we choose to wake up in the morning and put on, we carry him with us. Right now, we can look around this room and every other person in this room, you can see what other people are wearing. When we put on the presence of Jesus Christ, other people will be able to see. Other people will take note of it. So the question remains, when people are in our presence, do they experience God's presence? Or is it all just pretend? Are we going to be people of his presence? Or are we just going to play Sunday morning dress up? Are, are we going to follow after Jesus 24, 7, 365? Or is this just going to be the suit we put on one day a week? And then Monday through Saturday we go about our business otherwise. If, if someone wanted to grow closer to Jesus Christ. Would the way that you live your life be an example of how they could do it? It's what the Lord's challenging me with. And I hope that you hear these words and those challenges in love and grace. Because I believe it's what the Lord is challenging our church with as well. Are we going to be people of pretense? Or are we going to be people of his presence? I know which one I'm choosing. I'm choosing to be a person of God's presence. That's what I want to carry with me. 
I want to do everything that I possibly can, that when someone is in my presence, they are experiencing God's presence because I'm choosing to clothe myself in it each and every day. Maybe you're here today and and you've never made that decision. You've never entered into the presence of God. You've never chosen to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But somewhere along the line, Holy Spirit is nudging you. You see that this is the best way to live. You're hearing the call of God and you want to respond to that today. You want to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to clothe yourself with the presence of God. If that's you here this morning, if you're watching with us online, I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer with me. Can we pray this together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.